you can't just um, move in and out of a specialization. You kind of got to commit to it like a long-term relationship. So doing that really early for me and building on that and actively doing things to market that because it's given me that really clear, consistent message. You are listening to Australia's podcast for accountants, Tax Talks, the podcast to grow your firm. Welcome to episode 257 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. Sorry to butt in before we even start. Just a very quick update. Insolvent trading relief has been extended to 31st of December this year. The temporary safe harbor was going to end on 24th of September, but that has now been extended to the end of December, so to the end of 2020. So until 31st of December, you are safe from being personally liable from insolvent trading. Creditors can only issue statutory demands from $20,000 upwards and the response period is six months and the commercial tenancy codes have also been extended to 31st of December, meaning landlords can't evict and have to negotiate rent relief. On the 1st of January 2021, all goes back to the old rules, at least at the moment as far as we can see. So a threshold of $2,000 for statutory demands, a response time of 21 days, and directors are personally liable for insolvent trading again from the 1st of January. So hopefully this temporary relief will help those of our clients who are in deep water at the moment. But now to the topic of today. In episode 250 and 251, Nathan Watt walked you through his lead funnel from Google display ads and Facebook ads through landing pages of a well-done email campaign to a free consultation with potential clients and his website right in the middle of it where everything circles around this website. Ellie Garrett of All In in Adelaide does this very differently. She has a website, but the website doesn't have a clear lead funnel. It's more just a general information brochure. Her marketing engine is her niche. Of course, she does a lot on social media and runs very successful workshops. But her main point of difference that brings her clients is her niche. So we should find out more. Ellie made a comment in the Accountants on Purpose podcast that I thought was very good. She said, if something is a process and can be automated, it will. So let's start there. That came about because I was actually reading this article basically saying that um, a lot of the jobs that our children are going to have are going to basically be automated and that a lot of the jobs that are around now won't be and it really concerned me and so I did an enormous amount of research around I guess jobs of the future and the constant thing that came up was that any task that can be automated will be and so when we're focusing on I guess our value add and what we can contribute and what we need to work on it's not the repetitive automated tasks. It's actually all of the things outside of that. So it's the things where we control the technology, we control that automation and how we communicate. It's all of those things that help us. And so when we were starting all in, I looked at every single process. Um, so I've got 25 years of accounting experience behind me in 
micro, small, mid, large, big four accounting firms. I haven't moved around that much, just three times. It's just they all merge and (laughs) get bigger and bigger and bigger. But what I found um, throughout that journey that was really important when we started all in was any process that we could automate, we did. So everything that we do on a day-to-day basis, we have a process behind it and we've either reported that out in a like a procedure or we've recorded that through a Loom video so that anybody could come in and do any task. But we've used technology to do a bulk of the task and then anything that requires any human element, we've made sure to make a process. And so that really has allowed us to build this really integrated cloud ecosystem and something that I'd wanted to do for such an incredibly long time was always inhibited by where I was at the time. Either they weren't interested or they had legacy systems And so really we just started from scratch and started fresh and it was a really great experience to do that. When you say we, who who is we? So all in, you you are a co-founder? Yes. So I'm actually the founder and principal. I'm the 100% owner. There are no other shareholders. It's just me. When I say we, I mean my team. So I have Lee Duffield, my general manager, who helped to co-found it. We worked together at a prior firm for about five years. And when I met Lee, we just connected and she was an absolute superstar. And I knew kind of then that I would never, ever (laughs) let her go. And then Rhett, who is our head of compliance as well, who also came from that same firm and worked with him for some time. And uh, we now have Helena, who we've just brought aboard our admin assistant. Um, We were just getting so big. All of those admin tasks were just getting too large not to have somebody kind of on top of. And we have uh, two uh, people in the Philippines through TOA who round out our team. Um, and But the TOA girls and Helena came after and during the, the time that we've been around. So you have four people, including yourself, in Adelaide and yeah. then two people in the Philippines with TOA. Yeah. And what fee volume do you manage with six full-time Around 800K, but it is growing rapidly. Very impressive. So how many client groups would you think it's roughly? So it's interesting, isn't it? We have this 80-20 mix. 20% of our clients most probably bring in 80% and um, vice versa. So I would say we've got over, you know, 100 clients and client groups, but within that, we do punch well above our weight. So in our transactional, we actually have really large organizations that you'd most be surprised where we're doing all of their outsourced finance function, including payroll. And then we do have some large groups uh, that we do all of the compliance for. And for the remainder of the clients, we do a mix of either bookkeeping, compliance, advisory, cloud solutions. But a lot of that client base has been built for me over a period of 25 years. So it wasn't like we started, I, I call it a 25-year startup. We had some really solid clients when we came out and we did have forecasts of what we believed we would win in work throughout the time that I'd been working. I kind of knew, you know, how many new clients I could win and sustain and very important for us to have that consistent customer and client experience and manage them to a really premium level. But what we were surprised about was actually how quickly we were growing. We never imagined that we would grow so quickly. So we kind of had to scale up quicker than what we had ever imagined. In fact, our, you know, three to five year forecasts, we kind of met in the first year. And so we had to kind of go back to 
<laughs> our business plan and say, okay, well, is it that we want to grow to a certain size or what is it that we want to be? And uh, so we had to kind of rework our plans. Mm. And hence the TOA team came on board. That wasn't ever envisioned initially. Anything that we can streamline, we do. We question every process. And a lot of the stuff we do for our clients around that advisory tech space is re-engineering their processes. So if we don't live that ourselves, then we're a fraud. And we like to question it. Like um, when we first started out, we had a person working with us to help us with some of the bookkeeping who had never worked in an accounting firm. And I loved his ideas and concepts. And he'd always say, well, why are you doing it this way? And we'd say, well, that's the way we've always done it, which is my most unfavorite saying. And so it challenged us in ways that were uncomfortable, but made us more efficient. And that I think is one of the keys to finding a really streamlined, efficient business is questioning everything and nothing's off the table. And we've certainly used technology and our use of technology is we don't necessarily want huge amounts of tech. We want the tech that we use to be maximized. So we're getting the most out of it before we'll look at another product. And so we'll make sure that we're utilizing all of its functionality. Now, of course, you know, things can always be improved, but we try as best we can to make the most out of that and then to build the processes around that. And then we always go back and check on it and see if it's working. So would you say that your advisory services a focus on cloud integration for tourism and hospitality? Our advisory is what you would normally see in an accounting firm, but we do have that added bow of cloud solutions. So we do build those cloud ecosystems for clients. I would say maybe it's 10% of our revenues, but it leads to advisory and compliance and taxation so it's a really great starting point. But yes, we build cloud ecosystems for most industries, but our specialization is tourism and hospitality. That's our sweet spot. That's where we get the most return on investment because for us, it's really a click and play because we know that that ecosystem very well. And so you actually do the cloud integration. You don't bring a cloud integrator in. You actually we do connect... It. Okay. Well, wow, that's very It's really not that hard, to be honest. Mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> Look, the tech is the easy bit. It's actually the change management and the re-engineering of processes, which is the most difficult part of the journey. And we have skills in that area. Um, in every accounting firm I've worked in, I have helped them re-engineer some of their processes. And very, very early on um, in my career, maybe gosh, 18 to 19 years ago, I was moving that firm into um, electronic work papers. You know, in 2010, I was moving and involved in one of the big fours in moving all of their clients to the cloud. So I have worked in a lot of organizations where I've helped to move them forward, go through change management and re-engineer those processes. So because moving a a client to the cloud involves, I would say, 70% of that. I don't really want to give it to a cloud integrator because I know that we can do that bit well. Would you say that cloud integration is actually a door for you, for clients to come in? So Absolutely. that cl clients want to move to the cloud, you have the expertise, they come to you, you set it up, and then, of course, they stay for their ongoing compliance and ongoing... Absolutely. It builds the credibility, it builds the trust, it builds the relationship. You've delivered to them a big bang, like you've delivered a wow moment. You have 
and it's a noticeable shift. It's a noticeable change. And they're like, oh, well, if you can do that, you can just do everything else. And it is a point of difference. I mean, we uh, are based in the Adelaide market predominantly. So there's not many Adelaide accountants doing what we do. And so it is a great point of difference for us. And we do get referrals from other accountants to do it. So we're kind of known for that. We've obviously won some awards for that. So it certainly is an icebreaker and a point of difference. Is that then also how you get new clients? So you don't actually need to run so many Google display ads or search ads? or Yeah, we don't run any of that. Yeah, we don't spend any money on Google AdWords or searches or anything like that. We've only recently actually brought on board some social media just for more consistency because we were running out of time. So everything for us is really organic. Adelaide is a market where I have networked heavily for the last 25 years. It's been a real focus. So I get a lot of work from referrals. I'm also really open with my time and I share, I, I freely give my IP to other accountants and other people and clients because if somebody else can do it better, then I just want to know how they've done it better. But by doing that, it's opened up this enormous amount of open relationships where people openly give referrals, obviously working in some different firms. I've, you know, got along really well with most people. So, you know, if they go out of those accounting firms into commerce, I usually get the referral from them. We do and have been heavily involved in industry associations like Tourism Industry Council of SA, Restaurant and Catering, SA Woman. We get a lot of referrals from them. So we've really worked on our referral sources and then all of our socials we've kind of done organically. And really you can punch well above your weight. Like we've won work when we were doing it by ourselves through Twitter LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. You wouldn't believe it, but you do. And, you know, some of them have been decent jobs. So, you know, I think we're open to most things, but I, I would say a majority has come from referrals, networks, and building our client community and then through the socials. Do you actively ask for referrals or is it more that you focus on doing such a good job that the referrals kind of happen by themselves? I think it goes both ways. We're very open with asking. And I always say to my clients, you know, we're always, if you like what we do, we're open for business and we can take, you know, we've got more capacity. And it's, it's more around, I guess they know the service that we deliver. So a lot of times I'll get a referral and I haven't asked for it. It's just there. And I think a lot of the referrals, referrals is more about being front of mind. It's more about how do you get yourself in front of somebody and that these days is through the socials, but it's also having this really open connection and community that we've built. So with our clients, we do regular workshops, one to educate, but two to build community. And they, you know, that just brings referrals. They bring people in with them. We're able to talk to them. I mean, if I get somebody in a workshop, I can usually convert them to a client because you've built that credibility throughout that workshop. They get to know you. So, you know, we do use training and workshops as a tool to bring new people in, but also to build community. And we're really engaged with our clients. So we do regular communications with them, whether it be me via an email or a phone call or a Zoom meeting or, you know, just generic newsletters. We're always in connection and contact with the clients. And this was pre-COVID. You know, when COVID hit, it went into warp course, speed. Of course, of <laughs> course. When COVID hit, it went into warp speed. But look, certainly we've always been really engaging with our community. And I think that that's what has brought the volume of referrals. And look, to be honest, winning a few awards doesn't hurt. <laughs> yes, yes. And you have quite a few. Yeah. The workshops, what topics, if you think back of the last three or four workshops, what topics did you cover? 
how to understand your numbers, how to improve profitability, how to, you know, simple strategies to improve cash. Zero training goes off the charts. Receipt bank, hub doc training. We also, oh, we had one where we got one of our clients in to tag team with marketing and social media. That went through the roof. In fact, a lot of people are really interested. A lot of businesses are interested, engaged in the socials. And I just found a way to weave in some finance at the back end around return on investment. And that that went like wildfire, that one. Do you charge a fee for these workshops or are they free? For clients, they're free. The zero ones, we charge a really nominal amount, like 50 bucks, but they have great content. For the ones I run around improving profitability, business planning, et cetera, they're free for clients. And we do a like a very nominal charge to others to come along. Do you do them on business premises? We do it on business premises. So I made the decision when we started all in that I wanted a really nice workspace, a place for people to come. And my husband's a builder, so I was very lucky. So I bought an office, we renoed it, And it's a really welcoming space, but we built a really big boardroom so that we could have between 10 to 12 people in at once. That's what I cap my workshops to. For me, it's not actually about the numbers. It's actually about the quality of people in the room. And if I've got more interest than that, I'll run multiple workshops on the same thing because that's where with that number, you get a really great connection. There's a lot of backwards and forwards in the room. People become really open and you can have some really great conversations. What does your social look like? My socials are formed around quite a few things. One is blog posts, but they can be quite intensive. So I'd only do one a month. And look, I share that with Lee as well. So we'd most probably write one a month between like I'd write one, then Lee would write one. And we'd always focus on a particular topic. We then do like Q&As, like simple Q&As, things that people always ask you that you just don't want to be asked anymore. <laughs> uh, hot topics, I'll share other people's content. If I have an opinion on something, I'll share that. You know, sharing of, you know, due dates and compliance type things or sharing what we can do for you. I might record a video on a particular topic if it's something that I'm really passionate about. It might be that I've been involved and done a presentation somewhere. It might be that I'm sharing a webinar and we do that across all the platforms. I'm really active on all of the platforms. Now, that's something that actually becomes natural to me and I understand it's not natural to some. So maybe I've got a bit of a, a free kick there. It's something that I like to engage with. And even on Twitter, for instance, there is an amazing accounting community on Twitter where um, you can share content, share ideas, but we've also won a client from Twitter because they saw you know, a bit of banter between, you know, this group of accountants and said, oh, you know, we'd love to hear more about what you guys do. So I think just being, it's for socials, it's about being front of mind. But once again, having that really key message and being consistent, that's something in my whole career that has been, I think, the superhero is consistency. You don't have to be the biggest and the best. You don't have to have the best ideas, but what you do, you should do it well and deliver consistently. You focus on tourism and hospitality, but you also have clients in other industries. How do you manage efficiency and expertise in these other industries? I would say, unless it's a really specialist field, 80 to 90% of what accountants and advisors do in any industry is pretty similar. My specialization in tourism and hospitality really was born many, many years ago because it's a passion of mine and I love the people in the industry. And so I would go to a lot of the events and kind of work out what were their pain points, what things mattered to them, what was their 
where were they in the economic cycle? And so that helped me, I guess, build a set client base around that. Um, certainly in the cloud space, there's a lot of efficiencies because, it, as I said before, it is a bit of click and play. But what I found with a specialization, it's more around marketing, to be honest. How do I stand out from the accountant next to me is um, my specializations in tourism and hospitality and cloud. And that is a referral source in its own right, but it also allows me to bring consistent messaging in all of my communications through socials and it gives me a topic to talk about and to be known for. I give this analogy around a doctor is a generalist, which is what most accountants are generalists and they do really well and they're amazing at what they do, but they refer to specialists and the specialists obviously have a bit more education in the space and they can charge a bit more. So I want to be the specialist that other people refer me to and that has worked really, really well for me. The reason why we take on more industries than just tourism and hospitality is in Adelaide, it's a really capped market. So there isn't enough space just to do tourism and hospitality. And if I had done that, I'm during COVID, I may have been in a really difficult spot. So there is specialization, but still diversification, if that makes sense. How do you build your clients? Do you have everybody on a subscription model? And if you do, do you build them in advance or in arrears? Mm -hmm. Or where you don't have a subscription, do you bill in advance or in arrears? So we have two different types of billing. For our bookkeeping transactional clients and all of our new clients coming on board that I haven't had no experience with in the past, we bill, we fix fee through practice ignition and bill upfront. For the clients that we do predominantly compliance for that I've had for some time, it is that old model of fixed fee and collect in arrears. We do have a seven-day payment terms. We make our payment incredibly easy. And we have, like I've worked in firms where the debtor days have been 90 plus days. Our debtor days are between seven to 10 days. And have you tried to move the old clients from a bill afterwards to a subscription model in advance? Some I have and some I don't. So some of these clients I've had for 25 years. So <laughs> I don't really need to. I know they're going to pay. There's no point for me to get it up front. I would only move somebody to a bill up front for my older clients, my legacy clients, if they weren't going to pay but none of them, they all pay. So I'm really actually careful around what clients I choose to work with. I just don't work for non-payers. I'm actually really open and upfront and honest around payment. And if somebody hasn't paid within payment terms, you know, we have our auto reminders, but I'm pretty much on top of them, like direct communication to find out why. I'm not afraid to have that conversation. Because I think bad debts when you sell something I don't think hurts as much as bad debt when you have done work absolutely I and think it hurts a lot more when you have done something and then the person doesn't pay you is, it's just a lot more you know a kick in the gut than if you deliver a gadget or and that doesn't get paid that's right and the thing is you're you're physically paying people to, to perform this work and the way that I talk to my clients about it and also to my team is we are not a charity If we were, I wouldn't be paying any tax, but I am. So if we're not going to act like a charity, that means that we need to be paid for the work that we're doing. And, you know, when you go to a cafe, you order a coffee, you pay for the coffee. 
So why can't we have that exact same analogy in our firms? You've delivered a service, you pay for the service. We shouldn't be shy in following up payment. We shouldn't feel bad about invoicing them. It's well-deserved. We did a fantastic job. We deserve to be paid. And so if, you know, if I wasn't following up payment, I I might as well just call myself a charity. I've Mm. just done something for free. And that's not, that's not the type of relationship I want with a client um, because they don't value you. When you think back to instrumental decisions you've made in the past, which one or two or three decisions were the most instrumental in pushing you forward and which decisions turned out, you know, big decisions turned out to be mistakes? Yeah, I think the big ones for me was specialization really early on. Like you can't just um, move in and out of a specialization. You kind of got to commit to it like a long-term relationship. So doing that really early for me and building on that and actively doing things to market that because it's given me that really clear, consistent message. And moving to cloud, cloud was an absolute game changer from an advisory perspective and also for compliance if you get your processes right. And I think those two things have been the absolute game changers for me. And if I back that up with follow those two things with consistency, that's my power play. Like that's really what brings us the power. One or two things that I would do differently. I think for us, the file management has been an issue. I don't think the tech is really where we needed it to be. So we've had, we've kind of cobbled together bits and pieces and either, you know, started with sweet files and we went to box and now we're moving to FYI docs. That's been a pain point for us, but we're working on it and we're, you know, not saying it's too hard. We'll just, if something doesn't work, you know, the best piece of advice I ever got was if you're going to fail, do it quickly and cheaply. So, you know, we failed on the document management side. So that's why we're trying to do things better. And also I think around the team, because we were growing so quickly, we hadn't planned for bringing on people as quickly as what we did. And if I look back in hindsight, there most probably was one or two decisions I would have made differently and not in haste. But 2020 hindsight, hey, it's one of those things. But I've certainly learned from it. And um, now when we look to resource up, we're very, very measured in what we do and we try and plan as far ahead as we can. Welcome back. So... A website is not an all or nothing. You can grow your practice at an amazing rate with a very average website if you have a strong niche or a great community on social media. After the interview, I asked Ellie about her relationship with Tor, where two of her team members work. With Tor, were there some mistakes you made? Do you know, I think I'm actually going to talk about the positives here. Our relationship with Tara has been amazing and there's a couple of reasons for that. Lee and I kind of stalked them for a long time. We went to a lot of their roadshows and conferences. We, we followed them on the socials. We wanted to see that we were aligned and we were. And so when we came on board, it was in November of last year. We were already ready from a tech point of view and from a processes point of view. It it did refine us in our processes and we had to learn very quickly around how do we then, I guess, engage with a team member that is overseas. So we learned to use Teams a lot more 
and engage that person. Um, And one of the other things that was really, really helpful is we actually went to the Philippines in December to meet our team. It builds some amazing connections and an enormous amount of trust and faith in them. And they're amazing people that do amazing work. But we didn't expect too much of them early on. So our way of resourcing is we want to train you and get you as comfortable as possible for as long as you need. Then once you're there, then we're going to train you little bit by little bit by little bit. So we don't just dump a whole heap of work on somebody and say, do it. We give them time, which costs time to us, but we see it as a long-term investment. So we spend an enormous amount of time up front developing processes, developing communication, and then building brick by brick their workflow. And that's worked for us. Before you committed with Toa, did you look at other providers? We looked at all providers, but Toa stood out to us from an alignment cultural point of view. And we met Nick Sinclair and and some of his team and we just really got along well with them. Like I liked them. I liked what they were talking about. It really resonated with me. And a lot of the decisions we actually make with suppliers is yes, about the tech. It needs to do what it needs to do, but it's around the relationships that we can have with those suppliers. And we only align ourselves with people that we actually want to work with. And so for Toa, that it was just a one plus one. It just, it gelled. So that's really why we went with Tara. It wasn't about price. <laughs> it wasn't, it was just really around how they treated their people and that needed to align with yes. our. And I think they're also by far the market leader. A, everybody I speak to, who <laughs> I've never met somebody who ha- has team members in the Philippines who's not with Tora. Yeah, and, I think they're um, the largest employer of accountants in the Philippines. <laughs> yes. When I spoke with him a few months ago, they were still the second largest. The, the largest one was EY, but I think right. they, are, they are about to overtake them. So you might already be right now with your comment that they are the largest mm. employer of accountants in the Philippines. So very, very impressive. And, and what comes with market size is talent. We were maybe it was timing, I don't know, but we were incredibly lucky with our transactional assistant or bookkeeper who had used every single cloud product that we that we have in our stack. They'd used it. And, you know, that's what they like to call the unicorn. Yeah. And we were lucky enough to find the unicorn. And so she just re- literally just slipped in from day one. It was, you know, you can't ask for any more than that. And that skill set I couldn't find here in Adelaide. I couldn't find it. Nobody had it. And so that that was, you know, amazing. Welcome back. In the next episode, episode 258, Ellie Garrett will talk about how she gets tech to help her run her $800,000 fee volume with a team of just six members, including herself. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode. And before you go, if you're in Melbourne or Victoria, I just would love to find some words of encouragement. And of course, you already know and you never thought otherwise, but I just wanted to stress it. It is just luck of the draw. It could have hit Sydney just as easily with the cruise ship debacle. Maybe errors were made in Victoria, maybe not, but errors were definitely also made in other states, definitely in Sydney. So the way the second wave exploded in Melbourne is just really bad luck. It could have just as easily exploded in Sydney or Brisbane. And so, dear Melbourne, my heart goes out to you. It really does. And everybody I speak to, is thinking of you and while you hit the hardest 
you're not alone. I just wish I could find words that make it easier for you, that lift your spirits. Have a good day and see you tomorrow.